0: We are wrapping up this series, King of Hearts. And as we have looked at this series, really what we've been doing is we've been walking through 1 Kings 1, and now we're in 1 Kings 11, really looking at the rise of this individual named Solomon. Solomon being David's son. Many of us know David. Uh, Even if you're not very familiar with the Bible, you know David, he's the one who killed Goliath. Most people even uh, may that may be aware of that or familiar with that if you are even if you aren't a follower of Jesus Christ well Solomon is David's son and Solomon takes the throne from David and Solomon or Solomon inherits the throne from David I should say and Solomon is really the greatest king as far as enjoying prosperity and God's provision and God's protection of any king that's ever ruled over Israel And we have seen in these chapters, starting in 1 Kings 1, but particularly in 1 Kings 3, how Solomon really desires to follow after the Lord, desires to really see him as king over his life, even though he's king over the nation of Israel. We've been looking at lessons that we can glean on the importance of making the Lord the king of our heart and the blessings that come with that. And also being reminded, as we're going to look at today, the consequences of the dangers that we need to avoid when we are tempted to not make the Lord the king of our heart and put something else in its place. We define king of your heart this way. If you're taking notes, I encourage you to write this down if you haven't written it down in weeks previous. It's this king of your heart, we define it as, as this simply this submission to the Lord in all areas of your life, all areas that we do not serve a Lord who is content with us compartmentalizing our lives or our hearts and saying, well, Lord, you can have these things, but this stuff, no, 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 you don't touch this. That's not the Lord being the king of your heart. It's submission to the Lord in all areas of your life. And unfortunately, what we're going to see today in 1 Kings 11 is we're going to see a hard left in Solomon's life. Solomon enjoyed the blessings of God enjoyed tremendous wisdom given to him by God his nation enjoyed tremendous blessing i mean they were at the crescendo or the crest of prominence in the world's eyes they were one of the greatest powers in the known world at the time but unfortunately what we're going to find here in this chapter verses 1 through 8 is where we're going to really un- where we're going to really unpack and really set up shop so to speak is in these 8 verses is that Solomon begins to, over time, have a slow fade in his heart to making decisions that lead him to a place where the Lord is no longer king of his heart. And you ever think about it this way? Uh, I've never met with anyone who finds their life in a ditch, so to speak, or in a really bad place. Who says, you know, I got here this way. I woke up this morning. Everything was going great the night before. I got up this morning and I decided to make this cataclysmic decision that has put me where I am today. I don't find that anybody has a story like that. But unfortunately, many of us have a story and can look at things in our life, things that we're not proud of, things that we may even regret, where we. Could say that it wasn't a one-time decision, it was a series of smaller decisions that led us to a place that we wouldn't want to go again, or a place that you may be even today. And those decisions over time, you know what they are? They are matters of the heart. Because what I've found in my life, and I know it's true of your life as well, because we're all, we're all in this together, is that... When I am choosing to put something else in the place that the Lord only deserves, that's called idolatry. And so what I want to do this morning, if you're taking notes, is the title of the message is this, The Lies of Idolatry. The Lies of Idolatry. Because we're going to see in this passage of Scripture lies that Solomon believed. And they're lies that every one of us can believe. And so if we're going to talk about idolatry this morning, then I, then I want to give you a definition. Because this week I was thinking, what's a definition that really gets at the heart of what idolatry is? And it's this, it's looking to anything other than my relationship with the Lord, believing it will give me greater meaning, value, significance, or security. So if you don't normally take notes, I want you to write this down in your phone, on your notepad, whatever it is, I want you to write down this definition. Because when I am living this way, I am practicing idolatry. Let me read it again. Looking to anything, keyword anything, other than my relationship with the Lord, believing it will give me greater meaning, value, significance, or security. And remember we talked about in weeks past that I can be practicing idolatry with things that in and of themselves are not bad things. But a good thing becomes a bad thing when it becomes the main thing in my life. And where my heart will drift when it drifts to something other than the Lord, it is that, it's me believing, no, 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 this thing, this relationship, this person, this job, this opportunity Whatever it may be, these accolades, these accomplishments are going to give me greater meaning, greater value, greater significance, greater security. And so what happens? Our heart drifts from making the Lord the king of our hearts to something else. And so what I want to do this morning is give you three lies that your heart and my heart believes when it is practicing idolatry from 1 Kings 11, verses 1 through 8. But before we get into it, would you pray with me as I pray out loud, and let's pray that our lives are postured in such a way that we're ready to allow the Word of God to shine a light on our heart to reveal, is there something in my life that I am allowing to take the place that only the Lord deserves. Am I practicing idolatry? Lord, where am I believing a lie in my life? So you pray that as I pray out loud. Lord, I thank you today for the already the opportunity to remind ourselves of who you are. The value, the significance, the security, the meaning that is found in you that cannot be found in anything else. But Lord, so often our lives wanna drift to practicing idolatry when we look to other things to be what only you can be. So Lord, as your word is open, we know your mouth is open. Would you allow us to be sensitive to what you want to shine the light on in our lives, on where we may be practicing idolatry and believing a lie? And it's in the mighty name of Jesus that we pray, amen. Look at verses 1 through 3. This is where we're going to find The first lie our heart believes when it's practicing idolatry from this narrative in 1 Kings 11, look at verse 1, it says, King Solomon, however, which if you were just in chapter 10, which you were last week, I mean, it's like this glowing report. In, in 1 Kings 10 verses 14 through 29, all of Solomon's accolades, all of the significance that he had, all of the amazing blessings that he's encountered by serving the Lord. I mean, Queen Sheba, it says, was just blown away by what she saw. I mean, literally a glowing report card. But now we come and it says, King Solomon, however, that hard left that I was speaking of, loved many foreign women besides Pharaoh's daughter, it's interesting that phrase beside Pharaoh's daughters. As I studied it this week, many commentators believe that that indicates that Pharaoh's daughter may have converted to worshiping the Lord as the one true God because she singled out from the other foreign women. We don't know for sure, but I think that's interesting. But these many foreign women, where are they from? It says the Moabites, the Ammonites, the Edomites, the Sidonians, and the Hittites. They were from nations about which the Lord had told the Israelites you must not intermarry with them because they will surely turn your hearts after their gods." I mean, it just once again emphasizes that fact that we talked about a few weeks ago, that the reason why the Lord gives this instruction to his people not to intermarry with foreign women who worship other gods or foreign spouses that worship other gods is because there was not some racial prejudice there, but because the Lord knew that there would be a temptation to worship their gods. Once again, God's instructions in his word are not meant to be a killjoy or a wet blanket on your life, but they're meant to guard you from what is not best. And God makes this clear by, or the person writing First Kings makes this clear by reminding a command of God that Solomon would have known. But look at what it says at the end of verse 2. It says, Solomon held fast to them in love. You're going to find that the language here is very descriptive. Verse 3, he had 700 wives of royal birth and 300 concubines and his wives led him astray. And it's not the idea that it's the wife's fault that Solomon's heart was led astray, but because of Solomon's decision to do what God told him not to do, that was the reason why his heart was led astray. That's the point. But when we read this passage of Scripture and we unpack it this morning, here's what I want to encourage you with. Don't judge Solomon, because Solomon is just like you and me. He's weak like you and me. He believed the same lies that so many of us may be even believing today. It's just his, his weakness is pointed out in Scripture for everyone to read. And his weakness, obviously, was women, particularly foreign women. So let's not gloss over the fact of what verse 3 says, okay? Because some of you are like, how's John going to talk about verse 3? So let's just deal with it. I mean, 700 wives. Can we just think about that? Like if you're married today, you have enough to do in keeping your relationship with your spouse where it needs to be, let alone multiplying that by 700. And not to mention 700 wives, but he also has 300 concubines, so individuals that aren't even his wife. And I don't think I need to explain what someone did with a concubine back in this time. Now the reality is that we can't also gloss over that in these times, remember I said this when we were at the beginning of this series that Solomon married 700 wives, I'm sure because of political reasons. Because when you went and wanted to make a treaty with a nation, what would you do? That king would give his daughter to be your wife and for sure there was political reasons for Solomon having this many wives, but this wasn't just a political motivation. Why? Because it says he loved them. He held fast to them in love. That word held fast is actually the same word that we find in Genesis 2.24 when it says a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast or cling to his wife and they will be one flesh. That's how tightly Solomon was holding on to these things. What was he doing? He was holding on to something that caused him to loosen and lose his grip on the thing that was most important to his life at one point. See, that leads us to the first lie. Here it is. This is a lie I believe when I'm practicing idolatry, that my heart choosing to disobey God's word in order to pursue what it loves is best for my life. That's a lie. It's a lie that my heart believes when I am involved in idolatry. What is that thing? In my life that I know will motivate me to disobey God's word, but I still want to pursue it because I love it, and I'm deceived into thinking that even though I disobey God's word, to pursue it because I love it, that it's going to lead to what's best for my life. That is a lie that I have seen lived out over and over and over and over and over again with the people that God has given me the responsibility to counsel. Unless you think that I am judging someone else, I've seen that in my own life. That something else begins to capture my heart and I want it so bad that I really don't care what God's word says about it. I still want it because I've gotten caught up in believing that I can disobey God's word, pursue this thing, and it still caused me to experience the best, God's best, in my life. Now, Solomon knew exactly what God's word said. Now, obviously, not all the Bible was written up to this point, but let me read you a couple passages of Scripture that were written at the time that Solomon was king that directly speak to the decisions that Solomon was doing that clearly would have indicated to Solomon that he was disobeying the Lord and pursuing what he loved. Deuteronomy 7, 3 and 4 says this, you shall not intermarry giving your daughters to their sons or taking their daughters for your sons, for they should turn away your sons from following me to serve other gods. Deuteronomy 17, 17 is instructions for the Lord from the Lord to Israel when they appoint a king. And one of the requirements of this king says this, he shall not acquire many wives for himself. Why? Lest his heart turn away. We are so easily susceptible. And when I say we, I mean not just you, I also mean me. We are so susceptible to believe that we are the exception to God's prohibitions. Are we not? Well, Johnny, I know God's word says that. I know God's word says that if I trust in him, he'll make my path straight. I know it says in Psalm 119 that his word is the light into my path. But you know what? I really, I really believe that, I, that this is what's best. And we get caught up into making that decision that's in direct contradiction to, frankly, many passages of Scripture that most of us probably know very well that we could even identify as things that could contradict the way that we're living, but we do it anyway, why? Because we get caught up in the lie that we're the exception to the rule. It's not gonna happen to me. Oh, I know there's people that have done the same thing that I've done and, 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 and I see the way that that has hurt their lives and messed up their marriages and messed up this or, or, or really caused them to have, to, to wish that they could go back and change it. Yeah, I've heard those stories, but I'm the exception. Why? Because we're believing a lie. That I can disobey God's word to pursue what I love. And it's going to be best for my life. Makes me think of all the way back to the beginning of humanity. In Genesis 3.1, where the serpent's there tempting Eve, and Adam's right there with her. And he says to Eve this phrase, Did God actually say? How many times has that that phrase played in your mind when you're wanting to disobey God's word to pursue what you think you love, believing it's going to be best for your life? I'll raise my hand. Uh, Did God actually say? Is that really what it means in the Greek? (laughs) I don't know. Let me look for another translation. Is that what it says in the message? or in the NIV, or the New American Standard, the ESV, or whatever other translation, oh, is that what it says in King James? Isn't that what we do? Did God actually say? And what was the serpent, the enemy, doing to Eve, placing doubt in her mind that God didn't know what was best for her life? He was causing her to believe a lie. Believing that I can disobey and not face consequences. You know, as I was studying this passage of Scripture, I thought in my life of what were some things that I've done that I disobeyed and I actually saw the consequences of it. Now, some of you are going to wish I would have told another story, but I'm going to tell this one. So I was in fifth grade, 11 years old, and we lived on this street that was very, pretty busy. Like, you had a lot of cars going up and down this street. And it was a Wednesday. Can't tell you the year. I can't do math that quick in my head. But, but, I, but I remember, like, my neighbor wanting me to play wiffle ball in the front yard. And so it was Wednesday. My mom didn't want me to get all dirty and all sweaty because we had a Awana Wednesday night. Anybody know wanna, Yeah? We had a wana Wednesday night, and so my mom didn't want me to get sweaty. But here's the big reason why she didn't want me to play wiffle ball in the front yard, because of all the busy cars that were going up and down the street. Well, of course, I thought to myself, man, I'm, I, I'm 11 years old. I know how to look both, both ways before I cross the street. Like, I got this. And so in spite of what my mom said not to do, I disobeyed her and did what I wanted to do anyway. And so I told the neighbor, yeah, I can play. So we're out there and we're playing wiffle ball and throwing the wiffle ball and we're, we're playing the game. And, and all of a sudden, I don't remember how far along into the game, but I remember I was pitching, he was hitting. And I threw the wiffle ball and he hit the ball and he hit it kind of across, across the street, but it wasn't a foul ball. And so I'm, he's running around the bases and I look both ways because that's what I knew you should do, and so I crossed the road and I picked up the ball and I looked and he was about to go around third of what we determined was third base, and of course, in my 11-year-old still being tremendously competitive, I said to myself, I want to get this dude out. I don't want him to go home, so of course, I don't have time to look both ways, and I didn't look both ways, and all of a sudden, I got hit by a car, specifically a VW pale yellow Volkswagen Buck which I still today when I see those get a little bit of a shudder inside. This thing was going about 30 miles an hour. The reason why I know is because the cops had to come out and the ambulance almost came out. And so I remember getting hit at 30 miles an hour, 11 years old, probably 80 to 90 pounds soaking wet. I'm still convinced to this day that when I get to heaven, I'm going to see this replayed and there's going to be a guardian angel with his hand on the top of that hood of that Volkswagen bug so that it didn't totally cream me and I'm still here today. And I remember when I got up, I looked look around and all I said, I, have a, I had a big gash on my elbow and I remember holding my elbow and, you, and I remember vividly what I said. I did not say, I knew there wouldn't be any consequences for disobedience. I remember crying saying, mommy, I'm so Sorry. Not I'm hurt, not I'm bleeding, not am I going to die, but I'm so sorry. Why? Because I knew exactly that what I experienced was a direct result of me being disobedient to what my mother said. Because the reality is, is we know as parents that there's certain things that we say not because we want to ruin our kids' life, but because we want them to avoid things that will bring them harm. And that's God with you. And what God was trying to do in these passages of Scripture that he gave Solomon in Deuteronomy and in Exodus was not so that Solomon wouldn't experience the pleasure and the best that God wanted him to experience, but so that he would avoid the worst. But so often we, got, we get caught up in the lie that says, my heart choosing to disobey God's word to pursue what I love is what is best for my life. Here's the second lie that our hearts often believe when we're practicing idolatry. Look at verse 4. It comes from verse 4. It says, as Solomon grew old, so evidently this time frame of where we see the condition of Solomon's heart is, is towards the twilight of his life. He says, as Solomon grew old, his wife turned his heart after other gods. There's that heart again. See, the heart in the Bible is more than the emotional center of a person. It's your thoughts. It's your plans. It's your will. It's your decisions as well as your deep emotions. These things are coming from your heart. And Solomon choosing to worship something other than the Lord turned his heart away. It says, look at what else it says. It says, and his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God. Now, There's significance in that phrase. Because here's what it doesn't say. It doesn't say his heart was not devoted to the Lord his God. But there's a key word there. It says his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God. Fully. That's interesting. As the heart of David his father had been. Think about it this way. Solomon in chapter 3 asked God for wisdom. He recognized that he needed it. He recognized that he couldn't operate and rule the way that God wanted him to rule off of pragmatism, off of his own human wisdom. He needed God's wisdom, and God graciously gave it to him and rewarded him for that selfless decision by giving him everything else as well. Solomon built the Lord, the temple. Solomon led faithfully over the people of Israel for so many years. But Solomon got caught up in the lie and believing that his heart was big enough And had enough room in it to be able to have multiple things on the throne. See, I think oftentimes we view our hearts as a living room rather than a throne room. Here's what I mean by that. If I go to your living room, chances are there's more than one chair in the center of your living room. What do you have? Well, you probably got a couple of lazy boys or, or a couple of single chairs in there. You maybe even have a sectional. You got a love seat. You got a bigger couch. Why? Because you want multiple people to sit in the living room. And oftentimes we view our hearts that way. That, yeah, you know, the Lord can have a seat, but so can a bunch of other things in my heart. Rather than viewing our heart as a throne room. Because when you go into a throne room, you only find one seat. And it's V.C. And our heart is a throne room. In other words, what I mean by that is my heart has only the capacity to fully worship and love one thing. But see, when we are practicing idolatry, we fall into the second lie that comes from verse 4 that says this. My heart has the capacity to fully love God and love my sin. See, we start to think, well, I'm not fully devoted to the Lord my God. I'm half devoted. Like I go to church, even open up my Bible, maybe even involved in a life group, Bible study this summer. But I'm in a relationship that I know contradicts God's Word. I know I'm living and operating my business Contrary to God's word and operating with a lack of integrity, but I'm still going to church and I'm doing this and I'm doing that. No, 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 that's a lie. Because my heart does not have the capacity to fully love God and love my sin. That's why it's phrased in such a way. His heart was not fully devoted to the Lord, his God. God is not about you to timing him. The Lord is about a monogamous relationship where he is the one that you love. He is the one that you serve. He is the one that you're submitted to in all areas of your life. He's not wanting to share you with anyone or anything else. And Solomon's failure... Even though we could say, was it a right decision to have 700 wives and 300 concubines? Absolutely not. But even if someone didn't believe in the Bible would say that's not a smart decision. But was that a simple decision? For sure it was. Was it a simple decision for him to be worshiping other gods as we're gonna touch on here in a few minutes? Absolutely. But his failure was not in the decisions that he made. That's not where the failure started. The failure was made in his heart. That's where it began. That's why Deuteronomy 6, four through six. Deuteronomy 6, four through six is the Shema, it's the most sacred passage of scripture to Hebrews. And it says, hear O Israel, the Lord is one. And what does it say? You shall love the Lord your God with, what is it? All your heart, and all your soul, and all your mind. Why, because the Lord is about monogamy. He wants all of you. Jesus even makes reference to that in Matthew 22 when the lawyer wants to try to chip Jesus up and says, what's the greatest commandment, Jesus? And Jesus says, he tells him what he already knows. You need to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. On these hinge all the law and the prophets. Idolatry is always a heart issue. It's always with you, it's always with me. Our failures in life start in the heart but here's our temptation here's where we go wrong our temptation is to limit our submission to convenience what do i mean by that to do mostly what god says mostly mostly as long as it doesn't conflict with my other loves I'm in, God. But that's a lie. Because our heart is a throne room, not a living room. Matthew 6, 24 says, no one can serve two masters. You're going to hate the one or love the other or love the other and hate the one. You can't serve two masters. Here's the third line. It's found in verses 5 through 8. Look at what it says. It says, he, being Solomon, followed Ashtoreth. The goddess of the Sidonians, and Molech, the detestable god of the Ammonites, and we'll describe what those gods were. But don't you, doesn't it feel like, man, am I reading about the same person? Like, is this really the same person that we've been looking at in chapters 1 through 10? I found that when I was studying it this week. Verse 6: so Solomon did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Here's this phrase again: he did not follow the Lord completely as David his father had done, on a hill east of Jerusalem. Look what else Solomon does. Solomon built a high place for Chemosh, the detestable god of Moab, and Molech, the detestable god of the Ammonites. He did the same for all of his foreign wives who burnt incense and offered sacrifices to their gods. So let's just think this. Let's think logically. If he also built an idol for every one of his wives, he's building at least 700 different idols. The same person that built the temple That's how far all of these smaller decisions that may have in and of themselves seem insignificant. It's the slow fade that has led Solomon to this place. You say, well, what's the goddess Ashtoreth? Well, she was the female partner of Baal, the god, lowercase g-o-d, of Baal, and she was the fertility god. So you can, I think you can, Deduce what type of worship would be necessary for a goddess of fertility. Yeah, that's a god that Solomon encouraged worship of. So far, he's gone. What about Molech? Well, Molech was a deity to whom children were burned in sacrifice. We've talked about that god before in other series. Why? Because these were gods that were constantly a temptation for Israel to worship, and they would destroy them. But unfortunately, hearts would drift and they begin to worship them again. In fact, Molech was so detestable that Molech was a god that literally people would sacrifice their children to. If you can imagine that, which none of us can. But did you see in this passage of scripture in verse 7 that Solomon actually built an altar for this god? See, it leads me to the third lie. That my heart believes when it's practicing idolatry, that my heart can worship my sin without destructive consequences. It's a lie. If I am a living a pattern of worshiping my idols, whatever they are, and believing that that's not going to lead me to destructive consequences in my life, man, I am, I am fully deceived. And what's interesting is is Solomon's idolatry just doesn't affect him, it affects the nation. Because in chapter 12, what we begin to find is the nation is divided, the northern kingdom from the southern kingdom, and eventually outsiders come in and they take over that nation and they lead people into exile, and Israel never sees the prosperity that they saw under Solomon again. I think it's a... uh, A good reminder for me to realize that when I'm practicing idolatry, it just doesn't affect me. It has consequences for those around me. And some of us may be sitting here today and we think to ourselves, you know what, I've been doing what I think is best for my life, regardless of it, what God's Word says, and I've been living this dichotomy where I can love God and still love whatever I want to do, and I haven't experienced any consequences that I wouldn't want in my life. Can I encourage you with this? Don't mistake God's mercy for permission. See, we serve a loving Father. And maybe the reason why you haven't experienced any of those consequences is because God is hoping that you will receive his mercy as a means to cause you to turn your heart back to him. But the reality is, is that God's discipline is not inconsistent. We got a lot of parents in this room, I'm sure. There's times where my discipline of my kids is inconsistent. And aren't kids great at pointing out to you when it is? mom or dad, you didn't do this with him and you did this with me or you didn't do this with her and you did this with me, or right? I mean, kids are great at pointing out your inconsistencies. But God's not like us. He's perfect. And God loves you so much that as it says in Hebrews 12, 6, as a son, as a father loves his son, so our father chastens after us. Only a matter of time if we continue to live in our idolatry that we are going to experience the cliff. And we experience the cliff because God will relentlessly pursue those that are his because and do whatever it takes for your heart to once again turn to Him. And what we can do to avoid those? is to stop going this way and building our altars for our idols. And literally, if you remember, taking the figurative hammer and smashing them and saying, Lord, I'm coming to you to pursue you. I'm taking whatever else is on the throne in that throne room of my heart, and I'm acknowledging you, and I'm submitting to you, and I'm bowing down to you, submitting to you in all areas of my life. Here's the thing. There's a reason why when we go through a series and it deals with a character in the Bible, how we don't make that character the star. Because if we made Solomon the star in this series, we would be severely disappointed. But you know who the star is? It's Jesus. Because Jesus did what Solomon couldn't do. He fulfilled perfectly what God required. He fulfilled it so that when you Turn your heart to other things. And I turn my heart to other things and believe the lie that those things can give me greater meaning and value and significance and security. That when I come to that realization that I was so foolish to believe those lies, that I can go to the Lord and I can ask forgiveness and I can repent of my sin and be back in fellowship with the Lord. Why? Because Jesus did what I couldn't do. He did what Solomon couldn't do. He did what David couldn't do. He lived perfectly. He died on the cross for our sins. He rose again. So that when we are led astray, we can go back to that throne of grace, knowing that we will receive mercy and help in time of need. Every head bowed and every eye closed. And I just want us to just examine our heart and say, Lord, where in my life have I been believing a lie? And confess it. And repent of it and know there's mercy and grace to help in time of need. Oh, that's the beautiful thing about our loving Father. He, there's, no, there's no certain mileage down the road of our idolatry that we cannot turn around and receive God's grace. God's always there why it says in James, draw near to God and he will always draw near to you. And maybe that's what you need to do. Lord, forgive me. Forgive me, Lord, for thinking that I can disobey you and still experience what's best for my life. God, forgive me for believing that lie. God, forgive me for believing that my heart has enough capacity to love you and also to worship other things as well. God, forgive me of that. Maybe you need to say, God, forgive me for taking a good thing and making it a bad thing because I've made it the number one thing in my life. Or maybe believing that you can worship your sin and not experience the consequences, and you've mistaken God's mercy for permission. Or maybe you're experiencing those sinful consequences right now, and I want you to know that God wants to absolve that regret and absolve that guilt as you confess your sin and look to Him. But you know what motivates us to turn our hearts back to Him? It's His goodness. The Bible says God's loving kindness is what leads us to repentance. It's reminding us of the goodness of the Lord because God's goodness is always chasing after us.